0: Welcome to the Integration Station, your go-to paediatric occupational therapy podcast brought to you by the OTFC Group. Today, Dino and I are joined by Alana Leonard. Alana has her own counselling service and is a mother of a young boy on the autism spectrum. Alana had been involved in the aviation industry for approximately 13 years, but turned to counselling after her son was diagnosed with autism, Alana has qualifications in family therapy and child development, has also been trained in the Holly Bridges Reframing Autism Intensive, and has a Certificate 4 in training and assessment. Today, we discuss the number of roles that Alana has as a mother, counsellor, advocate, not only with those within South Australia, but having grown up in the country, those within more rural and remote communities. So, Alana, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We've got Dino here again with us. Dino, welcome. Hello, Michael. Um, Alana, we are very uh, privileged to have you on this evening. Um, Alana is a a mother first and foremost, and also, um, as mentioned in the introduction, um, has her own counselling service which she started. How long ago was that? Now,
1: um, yeah, about eighteen months ago. Mm.
0: And from reading through some of your, your bio and information, the the change from your previous career to counselling um, has been quite a uh, remarkable one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think throughout COVID, people talked about pivoting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a classic <laughs> example of someone mm-hmm. who, through experiences in their life, has been able to do that and, and mm-hmm. is, by the sounds of it, thriving. I've got a lot of um, uh, reports from um, families that, that have mentioned that, um, your services, and I, uh, one of our therapists here has passed on that information as well. Um, and so that in itself is is exceptional. Um, and for that reason, we're very privileged that you've been able to come and speak to us tonight. Well, thank you. Um, can we start with that? So your experience prior to uh, working as, as a counsellor, and can you talk a bit about that your counselling service as well, but your experience prior to that, what got you into counselling, um, you can obviously share your, your, your story mm-hmm. and, and how you started on that journey. But for, for, for our listeners out there who may not know, mm-hmm. um, what got you from your previous work to into your counselling? Mm-hmm.
1: So I uh, my previous work um, way back when was uh, in aviation. Mm-hmm. So I started um, working for Qantas when I was 20 and I spent um, 13 years there. Um, and I, you know, that I could never have imagined doing anything other than aviation. It was all that I ever wanted to do. And, um, so it was, it was really my experience of going, of having my child, of having Henry and him being diagnosed as autistic and, um you know, it, then it kind of grew. I, I didn't really set out to be a counsellor. Mm. Um, it grew quite organically in the fact that I would have friends of friends contact me and say, so-and-so said that I need to talk to you because you can help me. This is what's going on with my child. What would you do? And then that grew to, and I don't even know how it happened, but Facebook, you know, me leaving comments, participating in Facebook groups and, 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 you know, leaving comments and answering questions and then it just literally, I'd have people from all over the world messaging me going, can you help me? And this was, you know, at this point, I wasn't working at all. I, I was in the throes of, of you know, uh, parenting a child who was having a really hard time in the world. And it was my husband who said to me, I think you need to do something with this. And and initially I was quite reluctant because I I was like, I'm living this every day. Like I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting sleep, you know, I I can't really think about it. But then, you know, I, it kept just coming back to me. Like it just kind of, I kept um, getting people, like asking me questions and, and, yeah, it was something that I thought, well, you know, the universe wants me to do this to a certain degree. And, and so where it kind where the counseling came into it was I, I had, I'm a big fan of um, polyvagal theory. So Stephen Porges's work. And when I started learning about that, and when we started applying those theories to observing what was happening with henry things started to rapidly change for us it it changed the way that my husband and i interacted with henry um it changed um it made things easier for him because we shifted from this behavioral focus to more of a a nervous system approach of of you know this is the way that he's expressing what's going on for him keeping in mind that he was non-verbal at this point so he's not able to tell us you know what's happening and so uh, Stephen Paul just works with, um, closely with a family therapist called Deb Dana, and she has taken his clinical work and, and um, kind of adapted it into, um, you know, how the clinical application in counselling. So I, I wanted to work more, I wanted to train with her so I could support parents to understand more about the nervous system, so then they could support their kids. But to train with her, I needed a qualification. And the qualification, I was like, well, I don't have time to become an occupational therapist, and mm-hmm. I don't have time to do a psychology degree, and and you know, counselling. I'll do counselling, mm-hmm. and so I did that during COVID, um, and I loved it. And and then it's kind of gone full circle that you know I've got all these wonderful parents that are reaching out to me that want support, and and now I'm able to to provide it in um in a really supportive and inclusive way so that's kind of how it happened.
0: Can you reflect back on your experience then so you're working with a lot of these families who Mm. are going through what you've gone through so that lived experience must Mm. count for a lot Mm -hmm. can you reflect back to your experience of when your son Henry was diagnosed and that process and and also how you felt and who you lent on, and, and, mm. and who was the pe- who were the people that supported you through that the most, and and, and how that changed your journey.
1: Mm. Um. So i I had been getting some um, support for my own mental health. i I had be- had a diagnosis of postnatal de- postnatal depression and pretty severe anxiety. Um, that only came about when Henry was two. So I'd sort of, you know, I don't. Got through those first mm. two years managing all of that. So, I had um, I had the support of a wonderful psychiatrist in Adelaide, um, and she helped me get my head around the fact that Henry was on a different developmental path, um, which I found very difficult initially mm. to to kind of um, accept, I guess. Um, and so, but really, it was it was my husband. It was my family, um, but they were all having a really hard time as well. And um, so that also influenced why I do what I do because if I can provide that support to families in the way that I wished I'd had it, then, you know, I think that's – I would have loved that. I would have loved to have had someone who had an understanding of, of what I was going through um, because then just so much – that that reduces a lot of barriers. You know, you're not going into a therapy session justifying why you're feeling the way you are.
2: Where's the gap? Why what what are we missing? Because we're health professionals. So we sit in the in the realm of the, the experts who work with um children with disabilities, not only kids on the autism spectrum, but mm. your experience is not dissimilar to many parents who uh, you know, come into our service and may experience that as well, that they're not they don't feel like they've given they've been given the information to make decisions or feel like they are being informed about what's happening and and therefore are, are better able to support their own child. We're, on the broader mm. scheme of things where's mm. the where's the biggest gap? Where do you see the biggest gap?
1: The biggest gap is simplistically in understanding that the best support for that child is supporting the people that are spending the majority of time with them, whether that's, you know, that in a typical kind of nuclear family, that's mum and dad, or it it might be mum or it might be dad, or it might be grandparents. But I have seen the results in my own, you know, with my own child and also with the clients that I work with, that once mum and dad are supported, then the outcomes for that child are better because mum and dad can, can get the child to therapy. They can support the child through those really difficult, dysregulated episodes, you know, that the outcomes um, are a lot lot better. And I think, you know, before we came on air, we were having a chat about the NDIS. Mm. And I would really love to see that there is a compulsory component of parental support in the NDIS, that before the child, you know, is is allocated all this money or in conjunction with the child being allocated or the, or the you know, we're not always talking about children, but, you know, the, the participant being allocated all of this money, that there is money allocated to mum and dad to get or primary carers to get specialised support in whatever it is that they need because once they're doing better, the child is going to be doing better because we don't exist in in silos. You know, mm-hmm. if mum and dad are having a hard time Regardless of disability, then there is there's a byproduct of that, and and that can um, be really difficult for kids.
2: So how do we get that happening? Because I think you're, you know, I I, I would have brought that up um, mm-hmm. about you know having having that support or that mm-hmm. education really for the parents, so they then can be able to better support their you know their child or you know, the young person that they're caring for or or even the older person that they're caring for, Mm. but it just doesn't exist. Um, And, and we also spoke before on air, before we came on air about, there are so many wonderful things about NDS, but it's not perfect Mm. and potentially it never will be perfect. And where do we draw the line? And then we talk about early intervention and when that stops and, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we hear this um, all the time Mm. and, and because we're a service now that, covers you know from you know from birth to adulthood we see the changes in the levels of funding for therapy services as they get older and as the supports withdraw or they reduce as a young person gets older that's sometimes where they need the most support Mm. Um, and again that's left on the parents or the carers most of the time so Mm. how does that you know it paints a a fairly it's a it doesn't paint an optimistic future but do you think about that as well for henry do you do you have any thoughts on you know how to move forward or what we, what should be happening at a, at a i guess at a, a higher level um you know policy makers to look at that as well because there are some wonderful schemes but we therapy services mm-hmm. and that's what i'm talking about is the potential for change for young people and improvement from mm-hmm. that perspective not just housing and equipment and things like that for the long-term um benefits do you i don't know do you have an opinion about that
1: um so getting back to do i think about that for henry yes <laughs> it occupies a lot of my uh, a lot of my thought process especially now you know today first day of school he's gone into year four um we're already you know thinking about high school what high yeah. school is he going to go to how is he going to manage that transition how is he you know, and then and then after that, I've got quite a few clients whose cho- whose children are, um, you know, coming to the end of their high school journey. And then, what does what does that career path look like? I think for you know, speaking personally, my husband and I. Well, first of all, we have one child, so we have the time and the resources to be able to dedicate to him. So that puts us in a in a, um, somewhat privileged position in that regard. Um. So it it's something that we focus on. We're always kind of thinking ahead of of how we're we going to support Henry to have the life that he wants to have. That comes with that comes a lot from us learning about our rights as parents and the choices that we can make and the things that we can use the NDIS for. So I, you know, getting back to that parental education about what what the scope is for funding and yes there's yes there is therapy and and i and i do agree with you that you know we've already been told that Henry's next plan will be cut because now that he's 9 he magically doesn't need you know as much therapy and i'm like wow well, you know um so that that's problematic that way of thinking is problematic and i think that that comes from purely a cost cutting perspective you know and and it's also massively And sometimes I wonder what framework they make those decisions from. Are they making it from an outdated framework that the brain can only, um, you know, in terms of neuroplasticity, you know, there's, I think there's some, you know, some, I've read that, you know, once the child turns eight or nine, that then their their capacity for for neuro, you know, we know that that's now outdated. Mm. So where, you know, in terms of the policymakers within the NDIS, where are they coming up with these? Um, ideas that they need to cut that therapy needs to be cut off or reduced so having those conversations but really looking at it from a perspective our society has changed and 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 how the choices that my husband and I made for me to um, finish my career and be able to stay home with Henry that's not that's not normal now like that's not the regular way that a family operates. So when you have both parents in the workforce, because they're required to work in a lot of situations, and we've made intentional sacrifices to make that happen. Some parents can't, some some families can't. So then you end up with this massive load on mum and dad where where they're not able to support their children in the way that may have happened 30 or 40 years ago, where you could have a primary carer at home supporting that, that child throughout their life. That's just not, that's not happening. So I, and I also think, you know, you can reduce the therapy, you know, at that, at that age, you know, you know, like we're talking eight, nine, 10, you know, starting to cut back that therapy budget. But then it makes me think, are they just going to be costing themselves more in terms of, you know, um, I'm not sure what the proper term for it is, but, you know, like supported living?
0: Mm. As adults. As adults. Yeah.
2: So, what, what is then, you know, one of the, you know, you could name a few, um, but the main reason or main concerns that parents that engage with you Mm. um what comes up more often than not
1: their ability to maintain the support that their child needs and and their ability to continue to to support their child
2: in what way what what In level? an emotional. Okay, so yep. we're not talking about. So we must be talking also about um, the level of disability or mm-hmm. the level of impact that their developmental condition may have mm-hmm. on them. So we we could we could go f- to the, um, I guess the level where somebody needs full support. They're nonverbal. Um, may also be, and I'm talking even up to young adult that continence mm-hmm. is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that the education system doesn't support them because mm-hmm. they are unable to access curriculum. Um, their cognitive functioning would be considered to be in the, you know, the low range. To the high functioning young person who um, is able to access a mainstream school but can't because the level of anxiety that mm-hmm. they experience prevents them from developing. The I guess. Um, the skills that they've needed, and that's been in existence from an early age and Mm -hmm. therefore they've become homeschooled and isolated. We would see them as being equally as disabled um, in the technical term as the really low-functioning nonverbal person. So do you have those extremes of of clients? And does your approach differ between them? No. Explain how it doesn't.
1: My approach is to meet that parent and that parent carer where they're at. Mm. So, you know, I, what I do is autism parenting support. That's, you know, um, I guess that's the basic description of it. But parents are coming to me with a whole lifetime of um, emotional baggage I guess hmm. to not be to you know not no no beat, be around the but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it years is it's it's, it's trauma yeah. you know and i have clients who have significant amount of trauma um and for them to be able to show up and do what they need to do to support their child that trauma gets in the way you know a lot of what i work on is is how um, and this is stuff that I've had to work. On. I have my own therapist, you know. I have a child who I love and adore him. He's he's incredible, but man, that kid can trigger me to no end, right? That's not his fault. That that's that's on me, and it's on it's my responsibility to manage that in myself. So then I can, and, and that also sets an example for him. So for my clients, it is working through a lot of that stuff that makes parenting their autistic child really challenging for them because it's not so much the autism it's all the other stuff that comes with it it's the you know a lot of what i work on is helping mothers in particular be actually actually be able to say my child is autistic or my child has autism you know depending on on their personal preference of describing it you know it's about so, empowering those parents to to be able to go into a meeting with with a school and say you know this is what I need this is what my child needs and to to be able to do that in a way that builds a relationship you know because so I help parents with that I help them build relationships with therapists I help them address the things that are very emotional for them that get in the way of their child's opportunities
0: do you have have you had experiences with parents who are in different journeys different paths on that yeah. one that is you know maybe in in those stages of, of say soon after a diagnosis or maybe it's it's well down the well down the path that maybe they're in different stages of grief or someone's in that level of acceptance one still maybe in denial or anger have you had that experience as well and how, how have you managed that
1: yeah. Yes, I have had that experience. Um, And, you know, once again, from personal experience, I have had that myself. Mm. You know, my husband and I were poles apart. He was, you know, Henry is who he is. He's awesome. That's great. Whereas I was in, this is all too much for me. I can't cope with this. I have to change this. Right. I didn't want to change that he was autistic. I just wanted to change all the things that, that were hard about his personal presentation of autism so i i have my own experience with that i have clients who you know are at odds about actually getting their child diagnosed right so they one says yes we need to do it one says no and that that's like any relationship counseling it's 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 finding common ground but for me it's How do we, how do I support these parents to make a decision that aligns with their family values? What it is that they want for their children, right? Because you can get pushed into a diagnosis from, from a school. You Mm. can, you can, you know, you can be encouraged because there's funding that comes with a diagnosis, right? So, but ultimately parents need to be able to make a decision that works best for their family and works best for what they what they want for their children. So, I work from a perspective of how can I what does this couple need to be okay with the decision that they want to ultimately make for their child?
2: Do you um do you experience any or have you experienced any resistance or criticism from I guess the the more traditional um Support services, whether they're, it's the education system, whether it's the you know, health professionals like ourselves, have you experienced that over the last few years at all?
1: In my counselling, or well,
2: in your, you know, you're you're supporting families. Mm. You're an advocate as well. Mm. So, I'm assuming that parents may also say, "Look, could you come along with us, or could you help, na- you know, navigate, mm. you know, an NEP at school, or, mm. or talking to a therapist?" Because we're really not seeing you know the change or we'd like to restructure our goals do you do you provide that support Mm -hmm. and then in that what has it been like what's your experience with
1: um generally people are fine with it Hmm. you know it's it's that and I guess that's part of I guess who I am you know I've I had years working for an airline and <laughs> dealing with skills. difficult yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. difficult situations. Um, I used to I used to train that actually. Yeah. Um, so so that that's part of you know what I what I can bring. But no, I haven't the, those situations where I have gone in to help advocate um, have always been I've always been received positively with that.
0: How do you do that with Henry then? Do you find yourself having to advocate more? I mean, is it different because it's your own child? Yeah, or... I cry a lot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Henry's former principal, we've talked about Henry's, mm. form, he, he, he patted me on the back one day and he said, well done, Alana, you, you <laughs> didn't cry. And I was like, I almost cried. He goes, I know, but you didn't. Um, but that's a perfect example of, you know, the, what I was bringing into that, that emotion that I was bringing into it, you know, watching my child struggle all the time. It's hard. Mm. And, you know, no parent wants to be going into school. You know, you just, you want your kids to, to be okay. And, and when they're not, it's it's difficult to have those conversations.
0: We're starting back at school now, obviously, the, mm-hmm. the year's restarting. Um, I was thinking about it on the way in today, just, so first day back at school, a lot of our clients is is. A day that just do not look forward to. Mm-hmm. It's school holidays is over and I'm back into that. God, I hate this place. Um, we have, I guess, pioneered that concept with you know the uh, assistant autism minister mm-hmm. um, in South Australia. How how do you think that position? And I know you've collaborated a bit with um, with uh, with Emily Burke or honour mm-hmm. Emily Burke. Um, on on some things. How do you you think that position will change maybe how schools are um, presented to children or how school systems can be supportive for for children with a variety of needs?
1: Mm. My hope for Emily's role and what's being, you know, what started today um, being the first day back at school with the um, autism inclusion teacher, I think I've got that right, um, is that it's that awareness of, and we talk about awareness and we talk about inclusion, but the only way that that happens is from people who are living it every day actually sharing their stories and sharing their experience. So with what Emily and the state government are doing, it's people are talking more about autism and I don't ever think that you can... Um, talk too much about it because then that's how people learn and that's as, as a society how we change with the you know I think so you know just to give context our son is in a catholic school so he's not he's not in the public system the support that he receives at his school is is amazing it's it's been phenomenal we've had to work hard for that but it's it's great I think what I would like to see is there there is a lot of kids that fall through the gap because they don't have someone that's advocating for them. So I would – that's my initial hope is that those kids aren't falling through that gap, that they are – that they're being – that, you know, what they can offer that school community is being celebrated and it's being recognised and they're being supported and they're not being sent home. They're not being, you know – Um, punished for for who it is that that they are
0: what does supported look like for you then like what is when you say being supported or advocated Mm. for what what does that look like in a school environment say for example for someone like henry or Mm. any of the the clients that that you work with uh, what does supported look like
1: well i think that is you know into it's that's quite an individualized Mm. process Mm. but i you know with well first of all they they deserve to have access to this to education. They deserve to have access to everything else that 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 every other child in that school has. So making those adjustments and those adjustments just be a given, they're not a privilege. You know, um I heard a terrible story. I was on a flight last week and somehow I always sit next to <laughs> <laughs> someone they
0: engage they, can gauge they the... profile
1: you yeah. <laughs> they profile me um and this mum she actually a uh, fellow OTFC family um and I got chatting to her and she told me about a situation at a school which shall remain nameless where a teacher refused to wear the microphone for oh, the geez. this FM system stuff yeah the child had a, a APD. APD diagnosed no now To me, that is just like... uh, Well,
2: that's discrimination. Well, it is,
1: right? So it's those sorts of things that, you know what, this isn't a privilege. And that's that's what I learned um, when I went to, when we started Henry at his school was that the way that they um, approached Henry and the way that they accepted him and the way that they accepted us was that you have every right to be here. You deserve to be here. You and we will do what we can, everything that we can. And they do. You know, he's started year four. You know, five is that five years? Mm -hmm. Um, five years there. That they've they have been incredible. So, I would like that. You know, the supports that are given to children, whether they're really whether they're autistic or not, it's just a given. It it doesn't need to be justified.
2: Let's talk about appropriate school placement because mm-hmm. we're advocates for very much for children on the autism spectrum and in children or young people with disabilities and we will support whatever the family would prefer mm-hmm. as the um, education stream for their for the young person but it's our role to give parents our our best clinical and Otherwise, opinion about what will best support that child in their education um, journey. So, mm-hmm. long way around. I'm saying Henry is navigating mainstream school mm-hmm. now. In many ways, he your Henry is in the category that we describe as the most uncertain and at times most difficult child to work or pre- work with or predict because he's capable of accessing the Mm -hmm. mainstream system, Mm -hmm. but that requires some levels of support and it changes. Pretty significant support, And it will change as he hits middle school and Mm -hmm. then high school, right? So Mm -hmm. you're forever navigating support for him every year at school Mm -hmm. and it changes and then his life changes and then, you know, hormones will kick in and, you know he has the ability to learn and process information so then you start to worry about what's the what's a career going to look like or will mm-hmm. he go off to tertiary studies am I wrong i'm, I'm no you're spot exactly on. right yes young people who come in and very early on it's very obvious that they're in a more severe category mm-hmm. and um, whether they're verbal or non-verbal, but their intellectual functioning dictates that accessing a mainstream school would be extremely difficult, mm-hmm. even with the highest level of support, which is one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And even when they are in that system, their progress is very, very slow. Mm-hmm. And we may have even prior to that, and we will often give parents the the options and we say, look, we want to apply to special school, mainstream, small Catholic and look at your local area schools and, and get in very early. And then when they're about four, four and a half and you have to make a choice, then at least you have options. And if those options are mainstream or special school or special class, then at least you have them. Mm-hmm. But if you say day one, my child will be going to mainstream school because they mm. have every right to an education. Mm. I w- I want to know what your opinion is as a parent and also an, as an advocate, because mm. I don't think that does, I don't, I, I have a personal opinion, but I want to hear what yours is.
1: Mm. I, You know, in an ideal world, any child should be able to go to any school that they wish, right? That's not the case. And I have seen um, students at Henry's school that have transitioned from a mainstream school to a special school, and those children are thriving. So I think that there is absolutely the place for special schools I think there's a there's a place for you know special units within mainstream schools and I think that there's a place for you know um autism specific schools Mm -hmm. and that comes down to what what it is that the parents want Mm -hmm. and you know for us we did um there was an educator who mentioned to us about a special school for Henry and it just didn't sit it just (coughs) didn't sit right with us it wasn't we just didn't feel that that's what that was going to be the best place for him but it is something that we assess all the time and now looking into you know high school what is what is going to be the best option for him and and I I'm still stumped (laughs) I don't I don't know um I'm hoping that you know in the next couple of years someone just magically makes the most perfect school but um yeah I I I think everyone deserves to have options, and um, and if that's a special school or a special unit, mainstream school, that's great. It's it comes back from my perspective. It comes back to the parents being able to have the confidence to to make that decision for their child.
2: Not enough parents understand that it is their their decision. No, they don't. Because they can't. You know, the system cannot allocate a child to any stream of schooling mm. without the parent's consent. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because at the end of the day, mm. a lot of parents feel like that was their only option mm-hmm. and they sign it. And then after mm-hmm. they realize or somebody tells them, you know, it's your choice where you send your child for mm-hmm. their education.
1: Mm. And I have those conversations, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I, with my clients. I'm like, well, you know, is this, uh, why are you persisting with this? You know, is this actually what's best for your child? And how much energy is is persisting with this certain school taking away from, you know, your family? And, and you know, I, I, I have had those conversations.
2: From both ends, as in mm. your child would be really well suited or could potentially be well suited to a mainstream mm. or could be potentially well suited to a special school. Mm. I think either 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 end, um, mm. it can be really difficult.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's stigma. There's stigma attached mm. to it, mm. you know. And um, I, one of the, the school that Henry goes to um, feeds into Cabra and Cabra has um, a unit. Well, they have, I think they have the actual special disability yeah. unit and then they have the um, the other unit for, is that right? Yeah, they, yeah. they
2: also integrate um within the, the mainstream mm. schooling system that they, that they have students that can go across and be supported um, for different subjects I think their system is exceptional yeah um, so yeah. yeah so
1: it's it's but I, you know when that was mentioned to me, I was like you know I, I kind of bristled a bit because I was like, oh hang on no 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 because you know Henry you know he's exceptionally clever um, but the reality is is that, you know, for him to be able to navigate a a high school situation, he's going to need um, a lot of, you know, a lot of support for that. So, so, you know, parents understanding that, that there are many ways to learn and there's many different options and that they have the right to make those options and make those different choices. um, You know, that, that's really important, but a lot of parents don't know that.
2: If there was one thing you would change in your journey with Henry so far, Mm -hmm. could you think of what that would be? Um, Or something you would have done differently?
1: I I would have liked to personally get to a place of, you know what, it's all going to be okay sooner. That took me a while to get to. Um, but in, in terms of the decisions we've made, you know, I, I kind of look, well, it's my way of thinking about things is it's, it's led us to where we are now. And, and he's, you know, he was so excited to go back to school, Hmm. um, which, you know, blows my mind because reception was not like that. (laughs) And year one wasn't like that. And, you know, year two wasn't, um, you know, last year, his year three was the first year that he was at school full time every year before that he had a reduced schedule so um you know we had we definitely had some bumps in the road we had a we had a school that we wanted to send him to and he was there and and we had a really um tough time there and then we we moved him um but I wouldn't take away from that experience because I learned and mm-hmm. and and he came out of it okay um you know I know for for a lot of people and, and certainly for a lot of my clients is that, you know, their kids don't come out of those bad of uh, those schooling situations as, as positively as what we did. But um no, to answer your question I'm 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 pretty happy with, with how everything's gone. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Do you have your own definition of autism or a definition you like or something that you've heard that goes, yep, that that's what I that's how I picture it.
1: I, you know, we I say to Henry that his brain is incredible, because for him it is. Um, I think, you know, what, what he's we don't even we haven't even scratched the surface of what what he's capable of doing. The I think the term that really sticks with me is the Maori definition, and I won't even try and uh, say the Maori word because mm. I don't, I, I, I would butcher it. But it's um, along the lines of um, in one's own time and space. Mm. And that's that's what we've seen. You know, we, we see that with Henry is that there are things that he does that just blows our mind. I mean, he taught himself the Russian alphabet when he was three and <laughs> a half. And I'm like, mate, can you just learn the English one first? Like, that would be very helpful. Mummy doesn't speak Russian, right? But but this Anticipating
0: is... Anticipating a Cold War again, yeah. so that's fine.
1: <laughs> He's moved on to Spanish now, so, oh, you know, but... um. But it's those sorts of things that that I'm like, how how does how does this occur? You know, how can you? Um, and I guess that's my expectation of doing things in a very linear way and a and a very typical kind of flow to things. But you know, there are things that he is brilliant at, and then other things that that um you know are, are still quite hard for him. Um, but definitely, and that plays back to you know in one's own time and space. And, you know, I say to my clients and particularly my clients who have little kids that your child's on a different developmental trajectory. It's not, it's not wrong. Mm. It's just that they're doing things on a different timeline.
0: It's their own timeline.
1: It is. But in, in our, um, you know, particularly in Australia with the NDIS and the requirement for diagnosis mm. for school support and all of that sort of stuff, it's so clinical in this you know, at this age, they should be doing this. And, and the whole diagnosis process is that, you know, it's deficit-based. It's not looking at yeah, those, exceptional, those exceptional skills that they've got. And so, you know, that's something as well that I really try to help my clients is see the, the exceptional side of their child. And there's always something there, hmm. you know, um, that it's not all deficit. It's not all bad.
2: So are you training these autism advisors then? Mm. <laughs> because my my fear is a how do we select them? B how do they get trained? And then because they would have to have yeah. the most exceptional skills.
1: Do you mean the the advisory panel that they're putting together? No, or no. Or the, just...
2: In 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 school support, or we call I always reference them as they're they're the autism advisors at the school. Whether oh yeah. The specialist yeah. autism teacher or whatever yep. it might be. What their role mm. is it's a
0: huge role it's an it
2: it's the most important role mm. they have to be exceptionally well trained and people that should be chosen for their exceptional interpersonal skills mm. as well because i think without that if that person doesn't get it right, the system falls mm. apart.
0: The the other thing on that is, I feel that person will not just support those with autism; they'll end up supporting oh. those with other, okay. you know, yeah. developmental delays or neurotypical children in a school environment. Which which I think is is fine, yeah. Provided they're supported to do that, yeah. How be
2: does really one person hard. do, or how does one allocated person do that? Yeah. There's an well, education. We <laughs> oh, well, we um, see. These are the questions. Yeah, I mean, tell. The initiative is fantastic. We, we yeah. don't, we, you know. You, absolutely. Yeah, You can't uh, deny that the initiative is a well intended. It, it absolutely uh, it, is. A
1: hundred percent. And we
2: we desperately want it to work from, yeah. our, from our perspective. Mm.
1: And having, you know, I've had conversations with, you know, Peter Malinaskis. I've had many conversations with, with Emily Burke about it. And I can honestly say that their intentions are for... The betterment of autistic children, autistic people, you know, the autism community and their families. That that I do not doubt that at all. Um, it it will be interesting to see how how it comes out and and plays out in schools. Um, but I'm I'm hoping that that it goes very well because I think that it's just so desperately needed.
2: Well, it starts at the top. If the if well, the does. principal of the school is mm. flexible. Mm and sees that the education system needs to be more flexible, mm-hmm. um, then it will work. Hmm. But if...
1: But the irony that I see with that, right, is that having, you know, being a parent and and seeing Henry go through all these sort of different stages leading up to, you know, being nine now, how flexible that he... What's demanded of him yeah. in terms of being flexible? You know, you've got to come into this... well you know, we've chosen to put him into a mainstream environment. So he's in a mainstream environment or he's going out into the world. He's the one that constantly needs to adapt. Yet, you know, there's some schools where there are a lot of schools where the teachers won't adapt, the leadership won't adapt. And it's like, oh, hang on, you're an adult. How can you be expecting something of a child who, whose brain works differently or, you know, or a child who has a a disability you're you're requiring them to be flexible but you're not being flexible like that that just stumps me every time and i've had those conversations with a, one principal in particular well the
2: world is flexible now and the workplaces <laughs> yeah certainly need to be flexible mm. and they have to be flexible to the needs of the, the staff otherwise you don't have staff anymore and but yeah that's that's life like mm. we we're we're a flexible organization mm. and better for it if we mm. weren't flexible we wouldn't wouldn't attract the right people but mm. secondly we wouldn't be able to to then service the range of clients that we see mm. there, there's there's strength in being that that flexible and malleable at that organizational level mm. everybody has to be flexible you i i I think that argument is there I I mm. agree I see that and and it's not always it's not always from the top down sometimes it is that the person is not capable of being flexible, mm. and so that's hard to work with mm-hmm. in a in an education system mm. that employs somebody full time. You can't just get yeah. rid of somebody, yeah. can you?
1: Yeah.
0: We might um, change tune a little bit <laughs> if that's if that's okay, mm-hmm. but certainly uh, a very um, thoughtful point to end on, um, because there is there is a lot a lot to look forward to. Mm. There are a lot of things to still come and a lot of challenges that lay ahead. Um, But uh, I guess if I could segue into some other questions um, that are less clinical (laughs) or more more humorous. But this one here, um, on future, past, present, would you you prefer to see the future or or go back in time? Mm.
1: I... No, I I would like to go back in time.
0: Hmm, where are you going?
1: Um. Or just general. Just just general. Yeah. Probably probably back to. Uh, I was going to say the forties, but I'd want I wouldn't want to be living during the war. So maybe post <laughs> post World <laughs> <Sorry>. War Two. <II. laughs>
0: okay, I, I I would certainly go back to the wartime just to see what it was like. I mean, in a safety bubble. But, yeah. You know, someone who loves history, particularly World War Two, European. Yeah. I would stop off there for a a little bit
1: yeah Oh, just you know just that simplistic kind of you know I I just think now we've sometimes it's just a bit skewed you know we're so distracted
2: simple times Mm mhm what about favourite TV show as a child
1: oh oh gosh see I was a 90 you know born in the 80s just watching all those 90s sitcoms um Oh, I loved Full House with the twins. Yeah, with the twins. The, um, oh, the I have, Olsen twins. Yeah, that's it. I have watched the um the Netflix reincarnation. Oh yes, they, yes, yeah. yeah they, I have watched all of that. My kids have watched that. Yeah yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. One of them, not John Stamos. He's not involved. We went to ER and other things.
1: <laughs> he comes back. He makes a. <laughs> yeah, he, does. He, does. <laughs> he does. He pops back in every. Yeah, Uncle. What's his name? Uncle. No, that's not Uncle Joey. Whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I I loved all those kind of '90s sitcoms. Yeah, there were some good ones. Yeah,
0: um, I
1: wasn't allowed to watch Neighbours though. That was oh, yeah, wow, Neighbours. Yeah, what was yeah. I don't know. Scandalous th- Neighbours. Was cause... it
0: to do with the quality of the television? Probably. Yeah. 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 Not highbrow enough. Mm. Um, how about a favourite toy figurine, <laughs> something, a game? I think you may have mentioned this.
1: I did in the email. You did. Uh, so I tell, Tell (laughs) is it embarrassing? No, no, it's not embarrassing. No. Um, yeah, no, I had a, for my sixth birthday, I remember it very vividly. I Mm. asked for a cabbage patch doll and, um, and all the girls that I went to school with, they had the, they had the cabbage patch dolls with the lovely hair and the and the pretty little dresses. And, um, so I asked for a Cabbage Patch doll and I grew up in the country. And so, you know, Mum had driven the two hours to Adelaide and to do some shopping and she got me a Cabbage Patch doll. And, um, my birthday morning, I run in and jump on Mum and dad's bed and unwrap it. And I'm like, "Oh, it's Cabbage Patch. And, um, and I I feel bad Dino because the description of the Cabbage Patch doll, but he he was a he was he was a bald premature baby.
2: Look like me? Is that what you're saying? Kind of.
0: There are no photos. It's <laughs> a podcast, so we can't see. I can describe. I got, I won't I describe got, Dino.
2: I got called Voldemort once. Did you? Oh, you don't look like Voldemort. Well, I I didn't know who Voldemort was, and went. Well, home. I didn't and...
0: Ralph Fiennes that plays Voldemort. He's a... Decent looking, and you know,
2: then I saw what Valdemort right. looked and I, <laughs> I actually laughed. I told my son he was younger, and he started crying. <laughs>
1: <And> <laughs> that is a bit frightening. They,
2: they were mortifying. I so, thought,
1: okay. I, yeah, so I ended up with this. He was very cute though, but he was completely <laughs> bald. He was a boy, and I was like, What happened to my pretty girl? Like, but his name's Bruce Patrick. Um, I still have him, cherished. He's cherished. Mm. Uh, he has many wives cuz he married all the girl oh, Cabbage Patch Dolls. Ah, of course. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but I um I still kind of ribbed my mum about that. I was like, all I wanted was a girl and you got me a a bald boy named Bruce.
0: And you got a story <laughs> for it now. I do. If it was a I do, female I would have
1: Yeah, I just would I wouldn't have appreciated it.
2: Do you think you would have been a social media techie like kid in this day and age? Like in if it was available to you oh, yeah. back then?
1: Oh, I've never even thought about that probably. I do spend a bit of time on social media now, probably.
2: Is it, does Henry love it?
1: No. He well, he's he doesn't really. So he he's on he has a YouTube channel, yeah. but that's something that we he films train content cuz mm. trains are life for Henry um and uploads them, but um other than that, he's not. He's doesn't have any access to it doesn't mm. understand it
0: I did hear from a friend I have to verify the source but apparently they're looking at introducing an Instagram for children have you heard this Oh awesome. no that's not no. yeah anyway
1: yeah. it does it does mm. worry me I um I have nieces and nephews that are all a little bit older but um you know my my brothers and sisters have done pretty well with with keeping a lid on that until mm. they're older I, it it's very concerning mm social media
0: um sorry i'm just trying to favorite food oh there you go
1: oh would have to be dumplings
0: from anywhere in particular i love a good dumpling place
1: the place (laughs) in the markets i think it's moved now but i'm not particular. i'm not Ah. overly fussy as long as they're pan fried and they're crispy Mm, yeah
0: fried gyoza yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: and i love sushi yeah i'm pretty Excellent. pretty carb heavy pasta's good oh yeah
0: is that is that your? Yeah, is you that, your, that yeah i know is that your <laughs> comfort food what's your what's your, your your comfort food you come home tough day you know maybe some challenges with henry or you know have had an argument something's happened what are you what are you going to what's hitting the spot I want to say
1: wine, yeah, but then <laughs>
2: wine's, wine's a comfort <laughs> food, isn't it?
1: It can no, be. That's not good, it comes no. from grapes. It does. Yeah. Um, no, no, not that's wine. Didn't um, say that. That's fun. Wine comfort... with. <laughs> oh, I would probably be. Oh gosh, uh, it would probably be like a nice pasta. Mm. Yeah. So sleeper, or soup. I love soup. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm a big. Soup. I'm a big soup yeah. fan. Yeah. In,
0: any favourites? Any particular soup? Like a
1: chicken noodle. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm not pumpkin.
0: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of pumpkin no. either. Actually, mum messaged me yesterday saying, <laughs> saying she had some pumpkin soup yeah, and she said, no, my wife was like You're not go. big fans of pumpkin soup, so it's okay, thank you. And I'm like, Oh, I felt I didn't want to say no, but at the same time I was like, She's right. I don't <laughs>
1: How did your mum take it? She's pretty good. She's okay, made she... more stuff instead. She's like, That's okay.
0: okay. I also made this, this and this. So. Oh
1: awesome. Oh,
0: Felix Felix loves pumpkin soup, doesn't he? Felix loves anything that Maria makes. There you go.
1: There you go. There's a thing
2: about that, that your children always prefer the grandparents. Doesn't matter if you try to replicate it. My kids always say the grandparents, Mm -hmm. what they cook is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm going to tell my mum that. (laughs) Ask. Well, oh, ask you ask Henry. Say, <laughs> I did. I did, Chicken or grandma's chicken? Yeah,
0: I did hear that the best way of uh, counteracting that is by coming up with your own recipe, your own way of doing it, rather than trying to make something oh, that your okay. mum or dad or or a parent has made, because right. you can never fully no replicate. There's something it. Mm. always it doesn't you know. So temperature, atmosphere. Sometimes it's the pot. I, I, I'm oh. convinced that my, my oh, non- lasagna tray. Number was just years and years of sauce soaked into it that yep. that's why it tasted better yep. than mum's. Yep. Sorry,
2: mum. We always talk about food at the end of this. Uh, food does come that? up. It always comes up.
0: It does come up. It's it's a it's a levelling sorry we've been talking a lot about it too. Yeah. <laughs> um but I think that's not a bad place to probably to not. Leave
2: it. Thank you for it the discussion probably was heavier than we thought <laughs> it would but do you know what I think people will need to hear different perspectives and they need to hear some honesty about um, not only our opinion but also your opinion as mm. well because I think that was one of the things that um, when we had you in earlier for you know, doing some some other interviewing that led me to thinking that you'd be perfect to have on because you're very honest and sincere in how you... Treat your role mm-hmm. um, and that is something that's needed more and more for the families that we see. so mm. you should give end off by giving some kind of plug to your business from mm-hmm. that perspective. I know you don't need any more clients, but <laughs> you may also then take on some new staff in the future and train mm-hmm. them and they can uh, extend and support and um, so yes. end off giving us where you're located how they can find you Mm -hmm. and something else.
1: Sure. So um, my business is Alana Lennart Counseling and uh, my practice is uh, in Goodwood at the Good Hub. Um, But you can find me on my website is just alanalennart.com.au. Nice website, by the way. Thank you. I did it myself. Did you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: Sorry. Yeah. Aesthetically, it's quite nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I surprised myself. I'll be honest. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you can find my website. I'm on social media. Um, And I'm also starting a podcast with another uh, counsellor who also is um, a parent of an autistic child. So that is called Two Mums and Autism. Oh, great. So uh, that's our perspective of raising autistic yeah. children, but also from you know a mental health perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you can you can find me that way.
0: Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Well,
1: but thank you. Thank Thanks you for so having much. me. I Who's think- going to do the shout out to Fletch? Are you still doing that?
0: Yeah. Well, that, that, that that comes
2: in. well that's the, the hope. Michael's really the host. I just see Fletch and say hi whenever I see him. But he likes to hear somebody <laughs> else's voice. If,
0: if well, Fle- I know Fletch. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. If, he's, if he's listening, he'll get He get a. Sh- I'm sorry, Fletch. That is pre-recorded. I do shout out to you at the end in, in a normally pre-recorded oh, yeah. out- outro. But here's a personal shout out from from me, Michael, and D and Dino. You wanna? Hey, Fletchy. Alana, you got something to say?
1: Yeah, Fletch. It's Henry's mum, and here's your shout out. And I miss seeing your beautiful face.
0: Beautiful. We might end it there. Thank you so much, awesome. Alana. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. Please subscribe to the Integration Station on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to give us a short review if you have 30 seconds. If you have any questions you'd like discussed, Dino and I hope to have a Q&A episode in the future, so please send any questions to the Integration Station email podcast at otfc.com.au or via the otfc website otfcgroup.com.au forward slash podcasts and we'll try and answer them on an episode and as always shout out to you Fletch until next time it's goodbye from me